This is Food Talk for Health, because you really are what you eat. Here is your host, Tony King. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Gundry, Director of the International Heart and Lung Institute in Palm Springs. How are you today, Dr. Gundry? I am great. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Yes, today we're talking about the brand new book, The Longevity Paradox, a follow-up to The Plant Paradox. It's been out a little over a week now, and it's already on the New York Times bestseller list. It actually makes four books in a row on the New York Times bestseller list based on the plant paradox, which is uh, very exciting because people obviously have embraced it. This one, what was really fun for me is when I first opened it up and saw that picture of Edith (laughs) and read your little story (laughs) about Edith, and it just, it tied that whole longevity thing together. Give us a brief uh, description of Edith and what that's all about. Yeah, the book is dedicated to Edith Murray, who... um, I met in her early 90s. I actually thought she was 65 years of age. Um, she wore three-inch heels, had the most beautiful head of hair. In her picture, her graces in the book, uh, she she passed onward two months shy of her 106th birthday. Wow. And the, the picture in the book is her and me when she was 105 and a half in my office. And she uh, she basically went to sleep two weeks before her 106th birthday, but she was walking her Pomeranian in her two-inch wedged heels uh, (laughs) really up until the day she passed. And I think that's really what most of us want. Um, We we like the idea of living a long time, but we don't like the idea of what that looks like as we look forward and see, you know, people... um, in a nursing home, um, having two or three hip or knee operations, having bypass or stents, and maybe not remembering things very well. And that doesn't look very good. And that's the paradox of longevity. Um, I'm a baby boomer, and baby boomers, number one, thought we'd never get old. Um, And uh, it turns out baby boomers are actually sicker uh, on more medications and have had more procedures than our parents. Uh, had at that age, and that's uh, that's really scary. And this book is actually steps to uh, stop all that and reverse the process. Well, you know, I love the byline: "How to die young at a ripe old age." You know, that does say it all. Yeah, I mean, what the, the whole book looks at centenarians, people over a hundred around the world, and the commonalities that those people have. And the fascinating thing is the one thing that stands out from all of this research, uh, some of it mine, is that the gut microbiome, the bugs that live in these people's guts, are diverse and they are actually well quantified. And if you look at 105-year-old people who are thriving around the world, They have a gut microbiome, a collection of bugs, that's virtually identical to healthy 30-year-old people. And the whole book is, okay, we know who these bugs are, what they like to eat, and how to cultivate them. It's basically a uh, 
gardener's guide to uh, growing a good set of bugs that are going to keep you young until a ripe old age. <laughs> you know, I really did enjoy reading the book about the bugs, and it was kind of creepy at first when I'm when you started talking about uh, the skin, how our skin on the outside might reflect what is going on on the inside of our guts. It's really fascinating. Yeah, in fact, uh, it gets more and more fascinating with every day, just to day, uh, research from looking at the gut microbiome of people with colon cancer around the world, a huge study in humans, shows that the gut microbiome in people with colon cancer is identical no matter where they live. In other words, it's the gut microbiome that probably caused the colon cancer. And just like I talk about in the book, we now know there's a microbiome associated with pancreatic cancer, and this is a specific microbiome. Uh, it's, it's scary, number one, but it's actually empowering because most people think that their fate is their genes, their family history. But as they talk about in the book, a huge study in Nature, which is a very prestigious scientific magazine, shows that probably 94% of the things that are going to happen to us are because of our gut microbiome, not our own genes. And if we know how to manipulate the gut microbiome with food, with proper exercise, then we can actually control our fate and reverse some bad things that might be happening to us. It's interesting how uh, your research and discussion about the blue zone populations really was quite the factor as far as people living longer. Do you want to talk about the blue zone for a minute? Yeah, the blue zones, the term was described by the journalist Dan Buckner uh, to describe uh, five places in the world uh, that he found where people had extreme longevity. And the interesting thing is, I was a professor at one of them, the only blue zone in the United States, Loma Linda, California. And I'm actually the only doctor and nutritionist who has actually lived most of his career in a blue zone. Wow. So what's so interesting about these blue zones is they actually do not have common foods that all of these blue zones eat. They're actually very different. But what they do share, the universal factor in all these blue zones, is they eat very little animal protein. And that includes animal protein like chicken or fish, animal protein like eggs or cheese. All of them have very little animal protein in their diet. And Loma Linda, which is a Seventh-day Adventist town, uh, in general, they're vegetarians. A lot of them are vegans. But interestingly, the Adventist diet is a 50% fat diet, even among the vegans. And so the idea that low-fat, whole grains, and beans are the secret to a long life simply doesn't hold up to scrutiny of the blue zones. In fact, three of the blue zones actually use a liter of olive oil per week. To think about that, that's about 10 to 12 tablespoons of olive oil per day. Wow. That's really amazing. The whole thing with the low fat also interests me compared to non-low fat. What has your research found in that regard? 
as far as heart disease and health and our guts? Well, fat is, uh, unfortunately, you know, there are great fats and there are bad fats. And we know that the microbiome, the bad guys in our gut, and what I call gang members, actually love saturated fats and simple sugars. And that's basically the American diet. But they hate uh, monounsaturated fats like you find in olive oil and avocados, for instance. And they love complex sugars, what are called resistant starches. And these things uh, really actually define the blue zone as well. One of the neat things about olive oil is it contains uh, what are called polyphenols. And for people who remember that, just think of polyphenol. <laughs> uh, polyphenols are plant—they're plant compounds that we now know actually change the behavior of gut buddies. And there's some compounds in olive oil that actually make brain cells grow. Oh my as we goodness! Get older. Wow. Yeah. So uh, drink your olive oil. <laughs> How about the red wine? That's where I want to get my polyphenols from. I thank you for bringing that up. In fact, <laughs> red, wine, uh, red wine has some fascinating polyphenols that, among other things, the Cleveland Clinic has shown that red wine, the polyphenols in red wine, olive oil, and balsamic vinegar actually prevent a very harmful substance to be manufactured in our gut that can damage our blood vessels. And so... A glass of red wine, some olive oil, and some balsamic vinegar on your salad, and you will actually dramatically reduce your risk of heart disease. You know, Dr. Gundry, I'm a pure-blooded Italian. I grew up with that stuff, <laughs> and I still do. I still have it in my diet. Well, good. yeah, good for you. In fact, uh, it's one of the explanations that the Cleveland Clinic was very curious why the, the Mediterranean diet, which obviously does you know, have olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and red wine, seems to be so healthy despite the fact that they eat things like pasta mm -hmm. and beans, which are probably not very healthy. But it's these factors that overcome some of the negative factors in their diet. And I talk a lot about that in the new book. You do. Now, let's, let's also now talk about lectins, because that's what you're really known for uh, is the discussion of lectins. So give me your, your description for those people that have no idea what a lectin is. So a lectin is a plant protein that is sometimes called a sticky protein that plants use to defend themselves uh, from being eaten and have their seeds, their babies, defend against being eaten. Believe it or not, plants do not want to be eaten. They have a life. So these proteins are designed to make their predator that eats them uh, not do well, make them hurt, make them anxious, make them depressed, uh, make their joints hurt, make their blood vessels stiff. And I and others have fact that the ingestion of lectins are a major cause of autoimmune disease and leaky gut. And 500 years ago, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, said that all disease begins in the gut. And uh, he couldn't have been more right. I'll believe that all disease stems from leaky gut. 
and that lectins are a major piece of the puzzle in why we're now so sick. And I've uh, published a number of papers on this subject at meetings like the American Heart Association, the European Association of Atherosclerosis, that suggests, and I think proves, that lectins are a major part of causing our problems. And removing them is pretty simple. What are some of the foods that we find lectins in? Unfortunately, most of the foods we love, they're in almost all grains. Uh, Gluten is a lectin, uh, which is in wheat, barley, and rye. It's also in all oats, whether it says gluten-free or not. Uh, Corn, uh, our beloved quinoa, they're in all beans, they're in the nightshade families, like potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, peppers, and even goji berries. Wow. They're in peanuts and cashews. They're actually beans. They're not nuts. So, and we've got some great tricks for destroying lectins. Pressure cooking will destroy all lectins except the lectins in wheat and oats. Uh, so, uh, we have lots and lots of recipes using an instant instant pot or one of the modern pressure cookers that uh, families can use to make you can have chili as long as you cook it in a in a uh, pressure cooker. That's really interesting. Now, well, tell me now. For example, tomatoes. Tomatoes with the lycopene are supposed to be so good for. Is it anti-inflammatory? So. If you have to deal with lectins and you want the lycopene, what do you do? Just pressure cook the tomatoes? Well, no, you actually peel and de-seed them. Uh, This is uh, actually what cultures have done since tomatoes were introduced. Uh, Interestingly enough, tomatoes are from America. Uh, Americans did not eat tomatoes until about 1850 because they knew how poisonous they were. Ah. The Italians did not eat tomatoes for over 200 years after their native son, Columbus, brought them back because they knew how poisonous they were. And to this day, Italians always peel and de-seed tomatoes before they make sauce. You are right. Um, they also yeah, they also peel and de-seed their peppers. You'll never see a glass jar of Italian red peppers with peels and seeds. <laughs> You're In fact, right. the, native, the Native American Indians who started with peppers always char and peel and de-seed their peppers before they eat them or turn them into chili powder. So these traditions, unfortunately, have been lost um, for most of us. My my grandmother on my mother's side was French, and she taught my mother, you have to peel and de-seed tomatoes before you can eat them because uh, they're poisonous. Now, she didn't know what, that the poison was a lectin, but these traditions uh, existed, and now we've tended to forget them. Uh, One of the other things in your book, uh, you talked a little bit about fasting. What is your take on fasting for the diet? Well, fasting, uh, all great religions have some form of fasting as part of their religious practice. And the more we look at the mechanisms of fasting, we realize that it has nothing to do with depriving yourself, but that these cultures realize that fasting is an important part of health. We are actually the only great ape that is fat. We're sometimes called the fat ape. And it's that ability to store fat and then use it for energy in times of famine or times of tough times that actually allowed us to take over the world. That's why you don't see a lot of 
gorillas in Siberia. Um, <laughs> and it's this ability to cycle between using fat for a few fuel, a lot of people now know it as the keto diet, and the ability to use sugar for a fuel that's been lost to most of us. Twenty, Almost 365 days a year now, we're in this endless feeding cycle. And as I talk about in the book, not only do we feed ourselves 365 days a year, but we feed cancer cells and cells that should normally be told to die by some complex mechanisms that we all have. And the book shows you how to thin the herd, to tell cells that look a little weird, hey, guys, uh, you basically need to commit suicide and get out of here. Uh, That tells me that you're not a proponent of the paleo or keto diets then, that's for sure. Well, believe it or not, uh, my books are the number one on Amazon in the paleo diet. They're usually number one in the keto diet. I have a keto chapter in all my books. But the problem with most of the paleo and keto diets are they are not actually high-fat diets. They're high-protein diets. And as I talk about in the book over and over and over again, it's protein that actually ages us dramatically. So I'm all for people eating an 80% fat diet as long as that fat is primarily olive oil. In fact, one of my favorite sayings is, the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth. (laughs) That's great. And I think you briefly mentioned sugar. It's so bad for us. And we can get sugar out of fruit. Is that true? Yes. We have to understand that this was a lot of my research that went into my first book, um, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, was that great apes only gain weight once a year during fruit season. And as amazing as it is, fruit only ripens once a year in the jungle. And great apes used fruit to gain weight for the time when there was less food. And in fact, orangutans, the female only becomes uh, in heat, ready to get impregnated after the end of fruit season when she gains weight. So we've forgotten that fruit is actually fairly harmful to us, and I talk about in the new book how the sugar in fruit called fructose actually damages mitochondria, the little energy organelles in all of our cells. So there's nothing wrong with having fruit, a little bit of it, in season, but there is no such thing in the real world of 365 days of endless summer. Unfortunately, that's what's happened to uh, our society. We're always in summer. I think all of this reverts around a lifestyle about how we eat, how we sleep, how we exercise and take care of our bodies, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the book goes into, you know, how we should eat, you know, prior to going to bed, how we should exercise. Uh, If you look at the blue zones, once the... All blue zones actually live in hilly communities. In fact, uh, my community, Loma Linda, means beautiful hill in Spanish. And these people walk up and down hills uh, all of their lives. In fact, I I profile my great-grandmother, who uh, lived uh, just short of her 100th birthday, 
her entire life, and her bedroom was on the third floor. <laughs> and she, and my my sister and I, growing up with her uh, in the same town nearby, could not figure out why our great grandmother would not move her bedroom down to the first floor as she got older. And yet, every day, she'd go up those three flights of stairs up and down to her bedroom several times a day. Looking back, she was the smart one, and we were the dumb ones. Right. She she really maintained that exercise in her daily routine. Yep. Yep, exactly. Exactly. How smart. And that's what is striking about the Blue Zone. It really is. Very fascinating. So what's your recommendation for uh, good aging in a nutshell? So good aging means feed your good bugs what they want to eat. (laughs) And the book profiles what they want to eat. What they want to eat is tubers, like sweet potatoes, like heat them up. Uh, Fungi, like mushrooms. Mushrooms may be one of the biggest factors in keeping you healthy and keeping your brain smart as you get older. And have lots of green, leafy vegetables that you pour olive oil on and have a little glass of red wine. That sounds like a great plan for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're talking with Dr. Stephen Gundry about the new book, The Longevity Paradox. Uh, I know you're all over social media. What's the best place for us to find you online? So you can find me, well, you can find me at drgundry.com. You can find me at gundrymd.com. I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast, the Dr. Gundry Podcast. And follow me on Instagram. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Gundry. I really appreciate all of your information and research and uh, hopefully helping us stay healthy and living longer. Thanks again for having me on, Tony. You've been listening to Food Talk for Health with Tonya King. Thanks for joining us. Eat well to be well.